a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Many political analysts are scratching their heads a little bit about the Democrats' failure to pass the Build Back Better social spending bill. Uh, especially as some of the key components, of course, are, are popular in the polls. Uh, collectively, they don't seem to be able to, to carry the day. But the interesting thing for, to me to look at is, are, are the politicos, are the politicians misreading the room? You always talk about reading the room. Are you, are you getting the right signals from those you're trying to speak to or trying to persuade? And what can our politicians learn from what can best be termed the ideological heartland of America? Uh, Inside Sources sat down with Ryan Streeter uh, from AEI. He has a fascinating piece in the dispatch called The Ideological Heartland. And we asked Ryan first to just define what is that? What is the ideological heartland? What I call an ideological heartland would be probably more like two-thirds of Americans who lean right, lean left, uh, maybe describe themselves as moderate, but I think are often mischaracterized as just not caring very much about issues. A lot of times when we use the term moderate, we're talk, we, we sort of have a milquetoast sort of idea in our minds of people that they're, they're okay with something but not too committed to it. What we find is that people who kind of fall into this broader middle of the country generally have very strong views on certain things. They just want politics sort of scaled to their interests, and they, they, they don't want to spend all of their time talking about the culture wars on the right and the left. What they care about are things like affordable housing, access to good jobs. They want safe streets. And public safety is a huge thing right now, I think, because of how what's been happening in the country and our cities and with crime rates rising in a number of places over the last year and a half. That's first and foremost in people's minds. So even people who live in suburbs that are relatively safe still rate crime as like a number one concern in their minds right now. I think everyone just kind of feels like something's happened where we're less safe than we used to be. And so public safety, good schools, access to good jobs uh, that can make use of my skills and housing that I can afford. These are the things that they care most about. And they're just turned off by the culture wars that are raging, whether it's your left-wing variety or your right-wing variety. It's not to say they don't care about things like critical race theory in our schools. They just want to know their schools are good. That's a secondary concern for them. They care about it, but it's not the primary thing. And it turns out that's the majority of us in the country, but our politics is, is increasingly skewed to that kind of noisy right and the noisy left that have like an outsized presence in our media and our politics and our cable and, and radio shows and, and, and what we consume in social media. And so it feels bigger as a percentage of the population than it is. What, what's actually bigger is a group of Americans that just want politicians to focus on the bread and butter issues that they have to deal with every day. And they feel like politicians just aren't talking about that as much as they should be. And that's where we often talk about this movable middle. Uh, and it is a becoming an increasingly large segment of the population, uh, center right to center left. And as the extremes of the left and the extremes of the right uh, continue to push further to the left and further to the light, right, uh, more and more people are feeling like they don't really have a home. 
uh, because politicians are simply not talking about the issues that they really care about. Uh, And because of that, uh, many are becoming disconnected. Uh, And that's the thing I worry about. We're going to break that down a little bit as we go along uh, in our conversation with Ryan Streeter from AEI. Uh, And so when uh, Inside Sources sat down with uh, Ryan recently, uh, we we talked about it in terms of what does this what does this group really look like? What can we really understand what they are so we can actually read the room uh, and get the right response? ideological heartland and the domestic realists that live there, and again, it's not a geographic place, it's a frame of mind, it's a set of concerns and and beliefs and commitments, they look more demographically just like the country as a whole. Um, When you break them up into categories of age or race or education levels, they they generally look like the country. When you look at the the polar kind of opposites on the left and the right – that's where you see some things that if you follow these things in the news a little bit may not be too surprising to you, which is on the far left and the, the, the kind of committed progressives that I've been talking about. They generally tend to be younger, um, more college educated, live in cities or urban areas more. And then on the right, they generally tend to be older um, with less college educated. Probably a quarter of them are, have college degrees, which is less than the national average. And they, they tend to be older. Both groups tend to be pretty white, I would say. The concerns in the culture war seem to be driven very much by um, kind of college-educated people who, who happen to be white, but especially on the left. Um, but you're seeing that also on, on the right as well. Again, that was our uh, conversation uh, from uh, last week with uh, Ryan Streeter from AEI. Uh, and as as we look at that, as we look at this ideological heartland, uh, to me it's the great opportunity for someone to lead. Uh, someone can actually lead from that space and I think actually do a lot of good, whether that's in a community, a state, or a country. Uh, because that's where the people really are. Uh, and while we do spend an enormous amount of time with the political battles of the noisy right and the noisy left, or the extreme left and the extreme right, however you want to frame them or call them, uh, that's where the attention goes, that's where the dollars are flowing. And you have so many of these people who are in the ideological heartland who are so busy trying to create their version of the American dream. That they're they're out there working their jobs, they're raising their families, they're involved in their communities, and they're becoming more and more disconnected uh, from the political process because one, it is exhausting to to them. Two, nobody's talking about the issues that they actually care about. So why engage? Why uh, invest time and effort and emotion into all of that? Because no one's talking about the issues that are most important to them anyway. And so they do feel, uh, interestingly, in the ideological heartland that they don't really have a land. They, they sort of are a people without a country uh, at the moment because of what we've allowed the extremes to do because of social media and 24-7 uh, cable news coverage uh, that really gets elected officials and rewards them, rewards them for extreme behavior. Uh, that is not how it's supposed to be done. Uh, we're supposed to have a, a different kind of conversation. We should be able to have a different kind of conversation in this country. And uh, I love what uh, Ryan Streeter did. So uh, Ryan Streeter's piece uh, is in The Dispatch, thedispatch.com, uh, our good friends over there. He's a senior fellow and director of domestic policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute. And uh, I love the way he framed this. He said, this is not a place you can find on a map, but it is where most Americans live. Uh So you have to kind of remove uh, or be removed from the extremists of either end. And that's that's where you find it. And the big challenge, I think, for the country, 
is who will lead to that space? Will someone lead to that space? Do we have leaders, a set of leaders, a singular leader, who can actually call the country to a different place? And will the country know how to respond? One of the things that I think has been a a, a byproduct of social media and our own social media bubbles is that we've actually lost our ability to recognize and respond uh, to true principles. Uh, we've been talking about it all day today. Uh, obviously, we know we've got the January 6th anniversary coming up. Uh, we know that still uh, over 60% of Republicans don't think that Joe Biden uh, won the election fair and square. And so everyone can rant and rave and say, you know, how crazy, how horrible, how awful is that? And then you can go back to 2016 and just about the same number of Democrats uh, believed that Donald Trump did not win the election, that Hillary Clinton actually won the election. Uh, And so now we've got this massive distrust coming from both sides of the political spectrum. And if you if you lose that trust, uh, then we have a whole additional set of issues. Uh, so we're going to stay with this question a little bit longer today because uh, I, I want to continue with some of the things we uh, we got so much great content from Ryan Streeter from AEI. We're going to dig a little deeper into this ideological heartland of the country, where it is, what it is, and what our politicians and elected officials ought to be doing about it coming up next. Inside Sources. So how are the progressives changing? How are conservatives changing? And are they changing at all? Uh, And how can the politicians and elected officials drown out the noise from the extremes so we can actually have a conversation about principles and about better policies? So we're going to continue with uh, Inside Sources conversation with Ryan Streeter from AEI, a really powerful piece on thedispatch.com. And we talked about what progressive priorities are now. And listen closely. It may surprise you. We looked at a, large, a couple of large national surveys that we do at the American Enterprise Institute where we try to go beyond just the typical um, political polling that people are used to hearing, you know, um, everything kind of filtered through a political lens and understand how people are doing at the community level, um, all, all kinds of things about their lives, where they live, how connected they are to their communities. And you know, we also ask them about their political commitments. So we have a lot of data that we can look at to try to understand kind of how people are thinking about things. And one thing that we've uh, found and what I wrote about is on issues of symbolic importance to what I call committed progressives. And these would be people that in surveys say that they are very, very liberal, you know, when you ask them to kind of characterize their politics. And we have very, very liberal people. We have very, very conservative people. Together, they make up about a quarter of the population. They're loud and they command a lot of attention, but they are actually a minority among us. And on the left, you find these issues of symbolic importance, like renaming statues, changing the names of things based on, you know, an understanding of racism in the past. Those are very, very important to people on the left right now of more importance to them than traditional things that we typically associate with progressives, like uh, affirmative action um, or increasing affordable housing for low-income people. Those latter issues are still important to them. But when you measure intensity, you ask people how strongly they feel about something, 
people who are really committed progressives on the left um, are more intensely committed to things like taking down statues and changing the names of school buildings than they are increasing affordable housing, which kind of cuts against your notion of progressives. But that is sort of where the farther left part of that movement is right now. So that's really interesting to me that the uh, the far left uh, is getting really symbolic kinds of things uh, out of the way in terms of street names and, and statues and names of schools uh, and are not nearly as intense in their focus. That's the important word there, intense. The intensity uh, in for things like affordable housing is is not there the way it has been in the past. Things that really defined uh, the progressive wing of the party for so long. Now, not to be outdone, uh, Ryan also outlined what committed conservatives and that percentage of the the further right, uh, what they value now, which, by the way, is also a shift from where they've been in the past. This has been one that's been particularly interesting. I feel like some of the things that I mentioned about progressives, we've seen that trend for a while now. What's happening among uh, very fervent conservatives, people uh, on the kind of the far right who follow politics very closely all the time, is an over-politicization of issues and actually more confidence in politics than conservatives typically have. Conservatives are typically that coalition of people who uh, hold politics at bay. They think other things are important, like communities and families and neighborhoods and things that don't have to do with government, that that's where civil society uh, originates. It's where our strength comes from. When you look at uh, people in the surveys who identify as sort of very conservative and who follow national politics very closely, they're the, much more likely than progressives right now to believe that politics is a zero-sum game, that if one side wins, the other side loses, for instance. And also that ordinary people can have significant influence in Washington, D.C., and that that's a good thing. And that's really an unusual development on the right over the last um, several years is this belief that politics is kind of the tip of the spear for cultural change. And traditionally among most conservatives, and still most kind of just uh, kind of everyday conservatives would still believe that, that politics is sort of downstream from culture, that there are these other things that matter more, uh, more cultural things that don't have to do with government per se, and politics should reflect those interests but not lead the way. So I think that's, that's been a development on the right, which has been uh, sort of unanticipated and surprising to those of us who kind of follow these things. Yeah, so interesting to me that the party that was really supposed to be about limited government and limited uh, influence of politics, that those were downstream from community, family, culture, uh, that suddenly those are front and center issue that the, uh, as uh, Ryan aptly put it, uh, tip of the spear. If the uh, far right of the uh, Republican Party is now saying that, hey, the tip of the spear is the politics and the government, uh, that's a big shift in terms of the, of the party. So I find that really fascinating where Ryan went with both of those, that, uh, that progressives are not really f- – intensely focus on things that progressives have been in the past and conservatives are not focused as intensely on things that they were committed to in the past. Uh, We rounded out our conversation with Ryan Streeter from AEI uh, talking about what the elected officials should be doing in order to reach this ideological heartland voter. What I think they should learn from a survey like ours and ones that are similar to it is that if you actually take on issues like uh, housing affordability um, you take on issues like cost of living, which has to do with just what people are paying for out of pocket, and and yet not taking away people's freedom to live their lives as they choose, which is a very, very high value across the board politically in America, much more than a lot of people want to give it credit for. Is people, people want 
barriers removed. They, they don't necessarily want a subsidy for their housing. They just want the housing to be cheaper, you know. So, so getting rid of the restrictions that drive up the cost of housing at a local level, providing incentives even in federal policy to do that, is something I think would really resonate with people. Um, they want to know that their schools are committed to educating their kids, and there's a lot of skepticism about that after this COVID experience. Again, across the political divide, it's not so much a right-left issue anymore as just a, a loss of confidence in school districts to make the right choices about their kids, not just their health and safety, but their learning in this environment. And so schools, safety, housing, and jobs are the things that people care about. And so if politicians want votes and they want enthusiasm from the electorate, they should go back to focusing on those issues and instead of playing to the polar extremes in, their, in both parties. Uh, I love what Ryan rounded out that uh, conversation with, and that is where the focus should be rather than placating or playing to the extremes of the parties. Uh, we have to start playing to this group that actually could be the one that matters the most in, in terms of your own election. Even if you took it as just a, a crash, a crass political win, uh, it comes different. And so you have to start talking about different issues, the issues that actually matter uh, to people rather than continuing to have the distraction, the deception, the distortion that comes from the far left and the far right. Because they're in the ideological heartland uh, is where the heart and soul of the country actually is. And again, it's not geographical. You're not going to find it on a map. Uh, you have to find it by looking at what people are doing. And uh, as we've mentioned before, uh, this group, the things that will engage them are talking about community, talking about compassion, talking about self-reliance, interestingly, and opportunity or upward mobility, that they have their opportunity or their chance to live their version of the American dream. And so those are the issues, and yet we just keep allowing and enabling the loud voices, the angry voices, the the lather, rinse, repeat crowd uh, to dominate the headlines, to dominate the conversations, and to dominate the political scene. And so what we have to learn to, to do as voters is we also have to be willing to do it different. And we have to be able to say no more. Uh, let's do it different. And we have to hold people accountable uh, because that's the only way that the Heartland voters will ever become the real voice and the real heart and soul of the country. I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We'll step aside for top of the hour news. Hour number two coming up next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Live breaking news now on the mobile app for KSL News Radio. Sponsored by Any Hour Services. Listen at home or anywhere you go. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. This is Utah's news station. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind 
only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.